0: and proposal emails and so much more. All you gotta do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're gonna send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're gonna get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening, you're awesome. What is up my friends, Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are on episode 103, hope you're doing well life is treating you good. We are into the fall here in the U.S., at least, and uh, I'm here in Nashville. Life is good, feeling good, enjoying life. I'm enjoying this, this cooler weather. Things, I don't know, things are just good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about life. All right, so today we've got a great guest for you today talking about kind of a unique angle on speaking that we haven't really covered in any interviews or uh, episodes so far. And so I'm excited to bring this buddy of mine on, on the show today. Before we get into that, If you are someone who wants to know how to find and book speaking engagements, then uh, you need to join us for one of our upcoming free workshops where we give you that plan. We teach you all about how to find and book speaking engagements, what to charge, what you should talk about, how you should get paid, the different ways you can get paid beyond the stage, lots of different different stuff that we cover there. So you want to go to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. Register for the next upcoming workshop that we've got, and we'd love to hang out with you sometime in the near future. So definitely stop by freespeakerworkshop.com. Register for that. All right. So today we're talking with my buddy, Tom Singer. And Tom is a uh, speaker who's been in the business for a while. And Tom does a decent amount of MCing events. You know, like the person that's kind of, uh, they're helping keep the the, the train on the tracks. You know, maybe you've seen them introducing speakers and um, coming on stage after speakers. They're making transitions between segments. They're directing people when to go to lunch or uh, a lot of times you'll see these type of roles in different conference settings. And so Tom is someone that, that does a decent amount of that. So we talk about that. Like, like what exactly does an MC do for conferences and conventions? We talk about how you can use being an MC as a value add for clients. We talk about how to price your services as an MC plus uh, understanding the type of personality that is best for an MC role. I think you're going to like that conversation as well. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Tom Singer. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by my buddy Tom Singer, who is a a great speaker, a great dude, and has been in the game for a little while, and and has kind of a unique thing that he brings to the speaking business this guy does a lot of emceeing at at major conferences and events and uh, has kind of positioned himself as uh, what he dubs as the conference catalyst and so uh, interested in getting into uh, what that is and how other speakers could could do something similar so tom first of all welcome and excited to hang out with you brother why don't you give us kind of again a high level view of what it is that you do what kind of groups you speak to what do you talk about and uh, what your business looks like today
1: hey grant thanks for having me on your show uh, so yeah my name's Tom singer and I'm known as the conference catalyst and and like a lot of people who get into the speaking business I started off you know doing keynotes and breakout sessions at at association events and local luncheons and everything else and my topic was really in this social media crazy world and I mean I started doing this 10 years ago right as sort of all of the tools that have now grown into what we know as mobile and social media were really beginning and people were thinking oh this networking stuff is going to get so much easier because all I have to do is is linked to somebody on LinkedIn or Facebook and they're my buddy and as we know it's gotten sort of harder there's a lot more noise out there but when I started I was talking about how do we get back to the basics of connecting with people and through the almost decade now that I've done this what has happened is is we've had more technology come in and people are feeling in a lot of cases less connected. And so I started off doing keynotes. And what would happen is, is that I would do the keynote and I would part of the way through, I would make it relevant to what they could do at the event, whether it was a one day event, a two day event, a five day event, it was how do we go forward and use this event as sort of a human laboratory. And what happened was, is that it really, people got really serious about it and they put their phones away and they actually talked to people without anybody saying, put your phones away. They made the choice while they were at a live event, they wanted to actually take advantage of everything and make their ROI that much better. And so meeting planners were like, wow, I want to have you back next year, but we can't have the same keynote two years in a row because we have 80% return rate of our audience. And they started saying, could you be the master of ceremonies? So what I've done is I've taken my keynote And I've broken it up into five to seven-minute modules that I can drop at any time during a conference. And oftentimes, that's somewhat fluid because I have to read the, the vibe of the audience and what's going on. So I now have an hour or actually more material that I've put into little vignettes. And so I can serve as the master of ceremonies, but I'm a master of ceremonies who comes with my own content. And that content gets people excited about being at the event. And so you know, somebody said, wow, you really changed my event. You were like a catalyst and I became the conference catalyst.
0: I like it. Very (laughs) cool. So are you still doing a lot of keynoting or is it primarily
1: you're doing the kind of this MC role or what what does that kind of look like? No, I would say about 75% of my business is still keynoting, although oftentimes I'll be the opening keynoter. Mm-hmm. And then I will stay as the MC. So I can be a hybrid. But I would say most of my work actually comes from speaking at association annual conferences. And then I do so I sort of have an expertise in users groups for companies, often tech companies or other types of companies who have customer events that are going to be like a two or three day conference. And so I have sort of an expertise in the customer event because you spend a lot of money to bring all your customers together. And then if they spend their time sitting with their coworkers or on their phone, nobody wins.
0: Right. As an MC, I think this is something like a a role that a lot of people at least have heard of, but may be a little unfamiliar with like, what exactly does that, like, what exactly do you do? I I would just think you you just introduce the speaker and just kind of like, all right, now we're taking a break or now we're going to lunch or just kind of like keeping the train on the tracks. But like, what does that look like from your perspective as an MC type of role?
1: Well, so, so that's sort of the the big thing is a lot of people have misconceptions about everything in the speaking business. So people who listen to your show, you know, they want to be more speakers. The, the thing I tell people is from the outside looking in, the business looks like one thing. Once you're on the inside, you realize it's really 10 or 12 different businesses that are right. almost related. Like Colin Powell and I are not in the same business. Right. Someone- going to hire Colin Powell is not going to hire Tom Singer. So those aren't even the same industry. I mean, they're not looking for the same thing. It's not a speaker or a speaker. I mean, you know, the the Clintons get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't. So it's not even the same. It's not a competition. It's not even the same business. So people do the same thing with that whole master of ceremonies role is they sort of make a decision as to what it is. And they think, oh, well, it's just somebody who welcomes everybody and tells people where the bathrooms are. Really, the master of ceremonies, and, I, and I, I speak to a lot of prospective clients who say, "Well, you know, we just have a board member or a you know uh, one of our executives be the master of ceremonies," and I I talk to them about it, and they're like, "Yeah, they're not really all that great, but that way we don't have to spend any money." And right. it's like, "Oh, well, that's wonderful." The role of the master of ceremonies really is the host of the show, and so if you were to invite people to your house for dinner. Would you show up late? Would you, at the breaks, go to your room and shut the door? I mean, the master of ceremony has to be on the whole time. And that means in the hallways, at the breaks, in the bar at night. I mean, it's just like inviting people into your home. The master of ceremony sets the tone for everything, but also has to keep an eye on what's going on. Right. So it's really an in-depth role. And the problem, like a company that has a customer meeting and they say, well, we're going to have our director of sales be the MC because he has a great personality. Well, the problem is, is that your customers need him at break to be the director of sales. So if he's in a conversation, it's time to go back to the, the general session. He has to cut a customer off and say, oh, I have to go back and be the MC." Well, is that what you want to do to your customer? You know, you want your director of sales to be able to handle whatever a customer needs during that break and not be constantly looking at his or her watch thinking, oh, I got to get back. So the role of the MC should only, the only role they should play at the conference should be that host role. And there are so many things that, you know, the MC has to think about that I don't think a lot of people who've never done the role before have ever considered. And, and you know, the preparation that goes into being the master of ceremonies and most of the events I speak at are two and a half or three day events. I tell people it's five times the effort and work before the conference to prepare to be MC than it is to do a keynote. Yeah. And at the conference, it's a hundred times more work because you never you never are done. I mean, you're there the whole time.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking that in my mind. Like, if I'm going to do a keynote, I typically go do the keynote. And, you know, you you mingle a little bit before and a little bit after. But basically, after that, I'm you know, you're headed back to the airport and you're done. And uh whereas like you said if if it's a you know a 2 3 day commitment and it's not like an hour here hour there like it's it's a full 2 3 day commitment. So one of the things that you you had said earlier if you're talking to a you know an event planner and they say well we're just going to have a board member do it or we're going to have you know XYZ person do it because we're going to save money because I would assume that for most conferences they you know they've got budgeted item line items for speakers but they may not necessarily think of an MC in that role and wouldn't think to justify the cost of, of paying someone to do that. So how do you overcome that barrier of someone saying like either A, we don't have the money or B, no, no, we'll just have someone in house do it.
1: I don't know that you can overcome those things if that's their mindset. Then, then you can't. I recently talked to somebody, and and she, as the the meeting planner, was really excited at the idea of a professional master of ceremonies to sort of run the show and keep the flow going. Because you know, if things get behind, if 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 a speaker's running long, somebody has to walk in and cut them off. That's another problem. That if someone from the company or the association does it, well, now that person's the bad guy. Well, guess what? If I have to be the bad guy, that's what they pay me for, right? I mean, we've right. got to keep this thing running on time. And, and a little side note: I've done, you know dozens and dozens of these, and it's a learned skill to be able to keep an event running on time. So if you're going to throw someone out there and someone runs long, they don't want to interrupt them, then the next speaker goes long, the whole thing can spiral, you right. know, not in a bad way. But I mean, you've been at these conferences where they're running a half hour, 45 minutes behind, they go, "Oh, we're going to cut lunch. Well, you know what, you were going to make a conference call at lunch as an attendee. Yeah. Or they say, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to run into happy hour. Well, maybe you want that drink really bad. So there's a lot of little pieces that, that, that has to happen. And if their mindset is that, then there's nothing you can do. I talked to this woman, she went back to her board and they said, well, we can't afford that. We always have, we rotate through which board member does it. It's always the chair elect is the MC and the upcoming chair elect was kind of really dry and they were afraid he didn't have the personality to do it. And so she was really pushing for it. And the board decided free beats good. That was the actual word that she was told by her. free beats good. Wow. That's crazy. she called me and said we can't go forward with this discussion and she said that my board has told me free beats good and i said you know i would have liked to have said i didn't say <laughs> are you putting that in your brochure to to <laughs> come you know and and i think that with all decisions when you're planning and 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 as speakers and masters of ceremonies, we really should see ourselves not just as a speaker, we really need to see ourselves as event professionals. We are part of the events business. The hoteliers are part of the events business. The designers are part of the events business. The caterers see themselves as part of the events business. The the third-party meeting planners see themselves that way. Certainly, the internal meeting plan, meeting organizers, see themselves that way as speakers. We need to see ourselves as event professionals and as event professionals, every question we ask has to go back to, is this the best for the audience? It's the decision we're making for us. And this is oftentimes when I see people make decisions of who they're going to hire for their keynote. Oh, I've always wanted to meet her. Let's hire her. Well, is that the best choice for your audience? Mm-hmm. Or is that the best choice for the committee? Cause they want to meet this celebrity. So I think that that's the, thing. if their mindset isn't, let's make this event as great as possible, you're never going to overcome it. And most of the people I talk to and prospect to don't use professional MCs. And most of them, I, I'm never going to turn their mind. However, the people who have had a bad experience, or they've seen another organization do something where the MC had a lot of energy and really kept the thing flowing, and they got something going, and they're like, oh, we should try that. That's the only people I'm going to ever be able to sell to
0: it sounds like the, the way that it's it's really kind of a value add for you. Hey, you've already hired me to do the keynote. I'm already going to be there. I'm already going to be familiar with your event or your group or your you know conference or association. So here's another thing I could do just to bring value to the conference. It sounds like, do you typically lead with the keynote? And then like, oh, by the way, I could also do this this conference catalyst thing. Or do you start with the conference cat- how, like How does that work?
1: If I'm doing the keynote, I'm still the conference catalyst because in my keynote, I'm going to put in that part about how do we make this the best event you're ever going to go to. Gotcha. So the conference catalyst is who I am. And I joked with somebody because I was doing a topic that really wasn't involved in the conference, but I sort of put in the thing about, you know, how do we make this the best event you're ever going to be at? And the lady said, wow, I can't turn, you know, she liked it because I had a good response, but she goes, wow, you can't turn that off, can you? So that that's really who I am. But I lead with the idea that I'm a keynoter. But the MC thing is, like you said, it can be an add-on or it can be, oh, we've already hired our keynoters for this year. And I'm like, oh, have you thought about a professional MC? Oh, yeah, we were looking into that. Then I have the shot at at getting that. However, I will tell you that a lot of people have called me and said, Tom, I want to do this MC stuff. And I start telling them the amount of work that's involved and then what it pays because one would think, oh, five times the work, it's going to pay five times as much. It's not valued as highly as an opening keynote. Now you are there for two or three days. So there's a little bit of a premium, but it's not going to be five times your keynote fee to be there for three days or even three times your keynote fee to be there for three days. So you have to realize that you had better love being on the whole time. Now, I'm an extrovert. I kind of get my energy from doing this. And I like kind of putting the pieces together. And if, if if I feel the energy is low at the conference, how do I do it without being a clown, right? You don't want to be too like, hey, welcome to the show. Right. I enjoy the puzzle pieces of trying to do it. I was at an event recently where the audience liked what I was saying, but it was a slightly demographically older crowd and they all knew each other quite well. And so I dialed it back and everybody thought it was great. For me I felt like I was going in like first gear. Yeah, yeah. But I knew that's what the audience wanted and and the meeting planner was happy. The audience said, "Wow, it was so great. You know, your message was so good." But if I had come out and been really high energy, they would have shot me.
0: It seems like a role that's really for more extroverted Speakers, and I don't know if you found this to be the case. Most speakers I know uh, are more introverted and more. I want to do. I like people, but I also don't like people. Meaning, like you know, I like getting on stage and I like doing that thing and I like interacting with people afterwards. But a lot of us were ready to just just get me to my hotel or get me to the plane or you know I'm I'm ready to just like just simmer down from the the high of speaking, so to speak. So it seems like this would be a role where you. Like you have to know going into it that you need to be on all the time, and then it's not something where you can kind of be more reclusive as you as you might try to do, as, you know, in a keynote type of role.
1: So, Grant, I first want to say it's not better or worse to be an extrovert or an introvert. True, a lot of people, totally agree with that. Our society has taken this championing of the of the extrovert in a lot of ways, and then recently there've been you know several books that have basically said, oh, you know, extroverts suck and introverts rule the world, and and the introverts go, yeah, I love this book. I don't think it's better or worse to be an introvert or an extrovert. I'm married to someone who's an introvert and she would rather, after you know, an event, come home and, and read a book where I'd be like, let's go to the after party. Right. So it's not better or worse, but what you have to do is know yourself because I shared the stage with a, a somewhat celebrity, a New York Times bestseller. And they invited us both to go to the the dinner that night and I was seated next to him and I was talking with him. And I got up and went around and met some people and I came back and he said, do you like these people? And he was extremely introverted and he loved to speak and he was good and he made a lot of money doing it but his part was is he really didn't want to be at the after party he didn't want to be at the board dinner he just wanted to leave and he sort of got hornswoggled into it and he was very uncomfortable and you know that's not a bad thing. But I do like these people, no matter who they are. And I like going around and meeting people and hearing their stories and how the conference is going for them. And so you have to know who you are at your heart and soul. Because if you try to say, oh, I can be an MC, or it's, it's like the people who go, oh, I can speak on leadership. Oh, I can speak on sales. Oh, I can speak on this. If you try to pigeonhole yourself in to something you're not, you're always going to be second best. So you have to know where your strengths are. So if you're thinking, oh, I could make more money on MCing, are you willing to do that much work or do you want to just give the keynote and go to the airport?
0: Right. That's a great point. And I think and the, a lot of this ties back to what you were talking about earlier about speaking is not a, like a one size fits all type of industry. There are a lot of different like little subsets within speaking and different things that you could do. So I know for me, I, I do really well in a like a one hour block, whether that's a keynote or a workshop or a breakout or whatever that looks like. But I don't like the idea of doing like... An all-day seminar or a multi-day thing—you know—that just sounds like a, just like really brutal for me. But I know there's other people who would love that. They would never want to do, you know, an hour keynote in front of a thousand people, but they would love to be in a room with 20 people for three days. You know, so there's different. And again, like you said, I totally would agree. There's not one is better than the other. I think it's just important for people to figure out what makes sense for you, not just for your personality, but also for the business model that you that you want to have and, and the kind of business that you wanna you wanna run
1: if you're going to look at the master of ceremonies thing as something that you want to tack on, you have to realize it's a different skill set. So one of the things is, is that, and I I talk to keynote speakers all the time, go, Oh, it's not about me. Hey, if you're a keynote speaker, almost everybody and most are lying. If they say otherwise, there's a little piece of you that likes being on the stage. You get, even if you're an introvert, you like being up and doing that. If you're a keynoter, you should, you should like being a keynoter. And if you're a keynoter by nature, you're a little bit of the star of the show for the hour when you're the MC you're not. The MC is there to make the keynoter and the audience the stars of the of the conference. And so it's a different skill set than getting up and being that expert on stage. And yet, your personality is totally going to set the vibe for the entire conference. And so if you're a little bit more subdued, a little bit more like, hey, all right, all right, all right. You know, that might be great for certain conferences, but other conferences need someone who's going to be high energy and be able to keep the thing moving. And And you have to let your own personality come through. If you try to pretend, hey, I'm going to channel my best Tony Robbins, you're just going to come off like, a you know, an idiot. Right.
0: You uh, mentioned earlier kind of in passing about pricing. Uh, and so I'm curious about how you'd structure this. So let's just say for round figures, if someone's they charge, let's say, five thousand dollars to do a keynote and it'd be an opening keynote for a three day conference what would uh, if we were going to add in the mc type of role what would that typically look like uh, financially
1: well you know i don't think i've discovered like that there's a a cookie cutter answer to this right. but what I've kind of found is, is that, you know, a keynote versus like a two day MC gig, it's like one and a half times, anything more and people start going, Oh, you know, two, that's worth two keynotes for you to be there that long. I don't know. You know, we don't have that kind of budget. So I've found that now, obviously the longer the conference gets, the more you can tack on, but it's not like $5,000 a day, every single day. I mean, I just, you know, there's a couple of people who, you know, have sort of like acts who are, you know, like like big producers who get a lot of money to be an MC and they're doing the big five per 5,000 person shows. That's not the world I live in. Again, that's a different business, mm-hmm. but you know, if you're looking at doing, you know, 300 to 500 person conferences, two and three day shows, don't expect that it's going to be five times your keynote. So I've found about one and a half times plus a little bit for each day, but it's not, it's not big dollars. You have to really like being there if you're going to do it. And You're constantly being texted by the meeting organizer because things are changing. Oh my gosh, stretch. Lunch isn't going to be ready for 15 minutes. And you'd better have some way to stretch. And whether that means you pull people out of the audience and play a little game, or you have content that you can get up and you can drop, but it happens all the time where I had a situation recently where the hour long keynote, he went 15 minutes and the other speaker who went next wasn't backstage to get mic'd because we told her to be there in 15 minutes early. Yeah. We had about 25 minutes of dead time while people were scrambling around trying to find the the next speaker. Yeah. I got up on stage and just started sort of riffing, and I didn't even know what to do, and I started asking for volunteers, and I got three people up. And to be honest with you, I thought it was really lame. And then later that day, someone from the audience said, it's so cool the way you get the audience involved. You brought those people up on stage. They thought it was planned. They right. thought it was part of my routine. So did I think they thought it was a great part of my routine? No but you have to do what you have to do and and you have to be thinking about those things you have to be sort of prepared and the other thing is is that you need to make sure not only that they're not going to run short because if they do you got to fill but the other thing is as mc you got to be bad cop which means before every speaker goes on you have to have a really serious conversation with them about the time mm-hmm. and if every speaker in a day long conference goes 2 or 3 minutes long you've just wiped out happy hour yeah. so you know, or the breaks are gone or whatever. So I have really serious talks about this. And there's a lady, I won't say who she is, but I've done several, like 14 gigs for her, not as MC, but as as a speaker and as being involved kind of as this conference catalyst, maybe staying an extra day and doing something the second morning. But she's the MC of her own events. And she tells all the speakers that you have no grace period. When that clock hits zero, I start walking on stage. She goes, when you're down about 45 seconds, she goes, I have my arm around you. And at negative a minute, I pull your microphone off and I tell the audience, nobody runs long on my stage. Yikes out of respect for the audience. Right. And audiences cheer when she does it. And she's only done it a few times because people are scared of her. Now I can't do that because it's not my show and it's all that. But I do have conversations really serious to the point that some speakers think I'm a jerk, but I'm like, there's no leeway. And I'll walk on stage, you know, I'll give them two or three minutes, but I'll walk, I'll start walking on stage and they'll be like, oh, Tom's coming out and giving the hook. You know, and yeah. And it's really important to the audience. Again, these choices are made with the audience in mind, not the speaker in mind. And if you're not willing to be able to do that, you don't want to be emceeing events.
0: I mean, it sounds like you know there's some preparation that obviously goes in ahead of time of just learning about the conference and the audience and you know how you can best provide value for them. But it sounds like there's also just a lot of improv almost that goes into it along the way of just going into it on day you know morning one of the conference of a three-day event like you really have no idea what the next 72 hours look like or what's going to unfold or what responsibilities or hats you may need to wear until the thing kind of starts going down the track and then you go from there
1: oh you're right and and you have you have to think up transitions between every speaker which means you have to listen you're not backstage, you know, on Facebook. You're listening to every speaker. And I'll tell you, if you're doing a medical conference or you're doing a high-tech programmers conference, I don't understand, you know, nor am I expected to understand the details of of what they're doing. But you have to listen really close and find the things that you can relate to that, you know, you make sense. I listened to this like PhD political science professor talking about the election. And one of the things he was telling a story about this one former student of his who is now like a super major deal in the world of government. And, and I don't remember exactly what his title was. He wasn't famous, but, you know, he said so. He goes and he made a joke. He goes, you wonder, you know, what someone can do with a political science degree. Well, you could be da 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 da. And he goes on and talks about the great accomplishments of this former student and how it affects Hillary and Donald and all this stuff. And after I didn't understand anything, it was all high level theory. <laughs> stuff about you know, about polls and polling and, and the, the algorithms and the statistics but i came up on stage and i said so you know it's very interesting i go through he was talking about this former student you all heard him say you wonder what you could become if you're a political science major and i looked at the audience i go you could become a professional master of ceremonies because i was a political science major <laughs> it got a really big laugh it was like day three they all knew who i was yeah Somebody had made a joke earlier about me saying, how, how does one get a job like Tom's? Yeah. And so I tied that, you know, you have to constantly be doing callbacks like a comedian. And it worked. I called back to the thing the guy had said earlier about how, how did Tom get this job? And I said, that's how you do it. You'd be a political science major. But you have to listen to the whole speech and find the things that are callbacks to other speakers or to something that went on at a banquet the night before. And I make the the statement that you got to be like a comedian. But for God's sake, don't tell jokes. You're not a professional comedian. Don't tell jokes. Now, I use humor all the time and I get laughs. But a planned joke with a punchline, that takes a lot of skill. And comedians spend years, you know, getting to that point. I mean, Seinfeld and these guys, they don't just, you know, one day say, oh, I'm going to go tell a joke. They spend months practicing it before they do it on their show. So if you're not a professional comedian, don't think that, oh, I'll start with a joke because that's just going to fall flat.
0: Right, right, and it sounds like uh, even like that, that one that you just you just shared of uh you know kind of the political science joke that only works in that context. Like you could never necessarily use that again in a different environment where that wouldn't be as funny or it wouldn't make sense.
1: No, I mean it's it's all improv and it's playing off of that, but you have to be sitting there listening to what the speakers are talking about, even if the, the context or the, the, the topic aren't, aren't your area of expertise. And sometimes you come out and there's nothing you can say. So you just say, wow, what a great speech. You know, thanks, Grant. You know, and next up we have Bobby. And, but you also have to know, you know, you have to know your own limits. And if you push it too far, then it's, oh, you're the clown. Or, oh, you're making this whole show about you, right? You don't want it to be the Tom show. And I'm a big personality and I do tell a lot of stories. And so I have to watch how far am I dialing it? Yeah.
0: One thing I like about the role, though, is, and you kind of alluded to this there, is if is if I if I show up and do a keynote, you, you know, you show up and you have several minutes there up front where you got to kind of build some rapport and connection with the audience before you can really get into maybe a lot of your content and meat, and then you're you know you kind of put in the work, and but at that point after the talk you're you're done. Whereas in your case, each time you're getting up or each time you're mingling with someone at a meal or at a happy hour or whatever. Each time you get up, you have more and more rapport built with the audience. And so you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to build that up each time. And so like you said, by the end of it, they just, oh, that, that's Tom. He's part of the conference. And, and so it's, you really have more, I would assume, deeper connections and relationships with audience members than I would guess most keynote speakers would have by far.
1: I, I think that is true. But the downside of that is, is human beings see you in the box they see you in. So I don't get a lot of spinoff business when I'm the MC because it's not like people say, oh, we need an MC. Let's bring an MC into our co- company lunch every month. Yeah. So it's even though most of my business is a keynote speaker and, and doing some corporate training, people see me as an MC and they think, oh, he's an MC. So the problem is, is like the other day, I was I was with some bankers and this woman said, God, I love your personality. I wish you did training because we're having this meeting. And your personality and your message would be great. And I looked at her. I said, yeah, I do. Right, right. Oh, I just thought you were a professional MC. So people see you in the role you're in. I don't want to be seen just as a master of ceremonies because most of my business comes from keynoting. But the keynoting often leads to the MCing because they want to have, if they like me, they want to have me back. And there's a way of having me back without putting me into that that repeat keynote situation, which is a rare thing.
0: So to wrap up here, if, if someone's listening and going like I, I feel like I've got the personality for an MC type of role and I think this is, this would be a great place for me, at, you know, to, to fill a need that, that uh, sounds like a lot of events may have. How would you go about just getting into that and doing more MCing versus the traditional keynotes and and breakouts and workshops?
1: It's actually the same way you'd start to become a speaker. Find some local events where you can do it for free as as a service. I did a lot of like awards banquets here in Austin for mm-hmm. different for different organizations that were just, you know, 3 hours long. The, the Chamber of Commerce in Austin does an annual awards dinner and early in my career before I ever thought of myself as an MC, I MC'd their dinner for 5 years in a row. And, you know, eventually they wanted to go a different direction and, you know, whatever. And that's great. And now, you know, I wouldn't do it for free, but I did it for free for several years and I got to do it. And sometimes, you know, I do things and, and they would flop and something like, I remember what happened was, is the one year there was something I wanted to do and I wasn't brave enough and it would have gotten a big laugh and it would have had a good response for the audience. And the next day I woke up and thought I should have done that. And now I always trust my gut because I learned doing that now if I'd gotten up and done it and fallen flat I would have learned something different but you need to get out and do it because you don't want someone to pay you for a three-day event only for you to get on the stage and discover you're not good at it the audience doesn't relate to you and you're going to flop because that is if you flop in a keynote and you know everybody says oh I've never flopped I always say that you know any speaker who tells you they've never given had a bad day is either lying or it's coming (laughs) (laughs) We've all had those ones where we're like, ah, that wasn't as good as I usually do. You don't want to have that experience when you're going to be there for three days. You get out there and, you know, I, I had an experience where I had kind of a, I felt flat. I mean, it wasn't the audience hated me. I just didn't feel the normal connection. And I thought this is going to be a long three days. Now, day two, it turned around and, you know, it just was, but you don't want to discover and you don't want your client to discover that this isn't your thing while you're being paid very well for a 3-day event. So I would say find places that you can do awards banquets and dinners, try it out and, you know, see how it goes and and if you get really jazzed by it, then do a 1-day event and then do a day and a half event. And then eventually you can, you know, start charging for it. But get out there and figure out if you like that. I've had several friends try to do sort of the hybrid thing where they'll speak and then stay as the MC and then afterwards they'll call me and go you choose to do that? <laughs> That's what I was and thinking. Several of our mutual friends have said to me, you like doing that? We were at a, yeah. a dinner at the National Speakers Association and this topic came up and somebody was asking me questions about it. And another woman at the table who had done it several times, yeah. she said, yeah, I don't do that. And she goes, you know why? Because I don't do that. <laughs> you know, she was like, it's not my thing yeah. to do that for four days. She wants to go to her room when she wants to go to her room, even if she stays at the conference and participates. If she didn't want to go to happy hour, she didn't want to go.
0: Yeah.
1: I have to go. Yeah. Yeah. You, you brought up
0: one other thing I want to ask you about, and then we'll wrap up here. So uh, this one question I always like to ask speakers is, tell me about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. All right. So we all have them and we all have those moments where just something just went totally off the rails. So whether it's something with the event itself or something that, that you did on stage that just bombed. So I assume uh, I didn't prep you for this. So tell us, I assume you got some that, that come to mind. So tell us about a time emceeing or otherwise where it couldn't be worse than this.
1: Yeah, and again, I love the speakers who go, oh, I've never bombed. I've always touched Yeah, everybody. whatever. Fortunately, as, as I say, it's going to happen to everybody. If, if you've never had a day where you just want to hide under a rock, it's, it's coming. It's going to happen. Fortunately, mine happened a long time ago before I was a professional. It was probably one of the first times I was ever paid. And the mistake I made is I took a gig that was way over my head. I was not prepared to be in front of 4,000 high school students. Now, <laughs> you've spent a lot of time speaking to high school students, and you know how unforgiving that audience can be. Right. This was also probably 15 years ago. So, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. This was before, I mean, I kind of had a dream of being a speaker, but but I stumbled upon something and I said, I can do that. And I came out, this was also about the time that multimedia came in. I mean, PowerPoint and stuff wasn't necessarily there yet but multimedia had definitely uh, appeared on the screen and the guy who went before me had like this digital I mean by today's standards it would probably be ridiculous but he had you know computer generated stuff Mm -hmm. I came out with nothing on this giant stage just naked after he had people up and dancing and screaming and there was like smoke and everything else and I came out and you know I don't know I it's not like I came out juggling, but I might as well have. And I was just like, wah, wah, wah. And I, I lost the audience. And you know what high school students do when you lose them? They talk to each other. And I mean, it was loud. I mean, with 4,000 of them paying no attention to the little man on stage, it was horrible. I mean, I remember these two girls coming up saying, I would like to apologize for my peers, you know, your, your stuff was really good because they sat up front and they were, you know, gung-ho about leadership or whatever. And I was talking about something that wasn't my area of expertise. And it was just awful. And I wanted to never give a speech again. And yet, at this side of my career, I'm so glad that happened because right. I will not take a gig that I'm not right for or at least, you know, don't believe that I can be right for. And I won't go out and be small on a big stage ever again. What what
0: was the event? Just out of curiosity.
1: No, I don't even. It was a high school, some sort of high school event, and I it was it was several high school kids at a leadership thing. Yeah, nice. It's All probably right. so. You were probably the guy before me. <laughs> I've no, I don't use
0: PowerPoint, so that's not that definitely wasn't me. It wasn't me 15 years ago, that's for sure. So hey, Tom, we appreciate the time and appreciate you sharing your uh, lessons and journey along the way uh, in this MC world. So if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, uh, where can we go? You can go to Tom singer. That's T
1: H O M S I N G E R.com.
0: Beautiful. We'll link up to that in the show notes. So thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate you. Hey, thank you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that chit chat, chatteroo with my buddy Tom Singer. Kind of again, just an interesting angle on uh, on speaking. So sometimes we just think of speaking as just it's this one thing, and that's all you can do is you can just you go, you speak, you go home. And really, again, there's so many different options of ways that you can use speaking in your business, whether that be through keynotes or workshops or seminars or emceeing something it could be any number of things offline and online so hopefully this begins to open your mind to what is possible also again let me quickly remind you if you haven't already definitely stop by freespeakerworkshop.com register for our next upcoming free online training where we are teaching you all about how to find and book speaking engagements so again stop by freespeakerworkshop.com register for that and we will see you real soon All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 103. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.